First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 says that the goal of Christian instruction is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, the scripture there says, Jesus himself says that the greatest commandment is to love God. Why do we serve God? How do we serve God? With what attitude should we serve God? Each of these questions is answered by the one word, love. And yet all too often, that's not the mindset with which we see people serving Jesus Christ. All too often, the mindset with which people follow Jesus Christ is one of law and one of legalism. Instead of that, of love. Very interestingly, in Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36, we get to see both of these approaches to serving the Lord. And I'd like for us to examine the text here. Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to come into his home. And while there, a sinful woman came in and anointed his feet and washed them, dried them. We want to take a look at legalism and love. And as we examine this, I want you to ask yourself, which one am I? Which one do I want to be? One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. In verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. In verse 44, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. And you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's contrast these two today. But before we do, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you and we praise your name. We're so thankful for your love and your mercy. We're so thankful for the grace that you've offered us through the blood of your Son. We're so grateful for the law that you have revealed through your word that we might follow and obey you and do things your way. We ask, Father, that you would help us to submit to you. Help us to love you. Help us to bear fruit that glorifies you. Help us to honor you and obey you. Father, we're so thankful for, the, for your Son whose blood has forgiven us, and we pray for forgiveness. We need it so badly. 
Too often we've turned from Your will. Too often we've not drawn close to Your Son. Too often we've followed our own lines and our own patterns. And we pray that You help us to overcome that and to turn away from the temple, to submit to Your Son. Father, we love You. And we thank You for loving us. Through Your Son we pray. Amen. I'd just like for us to consider a series of contrasts between the legalist, Simon the Pharisee, and the sinful woman who was the lover of God. The very first contrast I'd like for you to notice is that the legalist asks, where is the line that I may draw near to it? The lover of God asks, where is Jesus that I may draw near to Him? Notice that. The legalist asks, where is the line that I may draw near to it? The lover of God asks, where is Jesus that I may draw near to Him? Notice Jesus' rebuke of Simon. Beginning at verse 44, He says, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with tears. You gave me no kiss, but she's not ceased to kiss me. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Each one of these statements is a rebuke regarding hospitality. What Jesus is essentially saying to Simon is, I have come into your home and you have not been hospitable enough to me. But I can imagine Simon the Pharisee saying, now wait a minute. I brought you into my home. I gave you something to eat. You prove to me in the law where it says that I have to anoint your head with oil. You prove to me in the law where it says I have to wash your feet. You prove to me where it says I haven't done enough when it comes to hospitality. You see, that's the mind of the legalist. The legalist says, unless you prove it to me that I have to do it, you can't tell me I was supposed to do it, and you can't get on to me for not doing it. You see, that is the legalistic mindset. Far too often, folks have the idea that a person is a legalist because they want to obey the law of God. That's not the case at all. A person in Scripture is a legalist because they want to know what is the exact legal requirement, and then you can't ask anything of me beyond that. That's legalist according to the Scripture. And so they're looking for those minimum requirements. They're looking for the line. Show me where the line is, and I'll do that. Show me exactly how much I have to do, and I'll do that. Show me exactly what I'm not allowed to do, and I'll refrain from that. But anything else, you can't ask that of me. Show me where the line is. And interestingly, different people's lines are different places. Some are a little more liberal. Some are a little bit more strict. It doesn't matter. The concept and the problem is the same. No matter how moral your line is, if the issue is find the line so that I can draw near to it, then that's legalism according to Scripture. That's, that's what's wrong with Simon. But notice the sinful woman. She didn't ask what's required. She didn't ask what's the minimum that I have to do. She didn't ask how far do I have to go. She did everything she could possibly imagine. She crawled up to him. She wept on his feet. She wiped his feet dry with her hair. She anointed him. She kissed his feet. She didn't care where the line was. She wanted to know, where's Jesus? I want to draw near to Him. I want to do as much as I can to be as possibly close to Him as I possibly can. That's what it means to love God. And this really shouldn't surprise us because we look in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 21. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 21 it says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. 
For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. You see, if there was a certain amount of legal requirement, a line that could be drawn that once we crossed it, then we had life, then a law would have been given, but it just doesn't work that way. That's not the way righteousness comes to us. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 19 tells us how we gain righteousness. Excuse me, in verse 9. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9 says, Be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's how we gain righteousness, by having faith in Christ, by drawing close to Him, by doing things His way, by just submitting to what He says and going as far as we possibly can and obeying and serving and doing His will. Why then, if this is where righteousness comes from, do so many Christians spend so much time arguing over the minimum legal requirements, arguing over how far they're allowed to go in some things and when they have to stop in others and how much of other things they absolutely have to do? Why do we spend our time arguing about how many assemblies we actually have to attend or how, how many drinks we're allowed to have or, or how many cuss words in a movie are okay? Or, or, or Why do we argue over those things? I think the reason we argue over those things is because we're confused about what God's minimum requirement really is. Far too many Christians have this idea that there really is some line out there, that God's minimum requirement really is a certain standard of morality, that once I've gotten that far, then I'm good enough. But that's not God's minimum requirement. Look in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, the Scripture says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being effective, excuse me, ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What is God's minimum requirement for us? Growth. That's God's minimum requirement. He said, if these things are yours and are increasing, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control. Do you see the point there? Peter didn't say, if you have this much virtue, you're good enough. Peter said, if you have virtue and it's increasing. He didn't say, if you have this much self-control, and that's, that's enough. He said, if you have self-control and it's increasing. Do you understand God's minimum requirement? God's minimum requirement is, if you're growing in Christ, wherever you are today is good enough for today. If you die today, you go to heaven, forgiven by the grace of Jesus. But He expects it to be better tomorrow. By this time next year, we ought to have grown. And if we're not growing, it doesn't matter where your line is compared to everybody else. If you're not growing, then it's not good enough. The issue is about growth. Which direction are we heading? And you see, the legalist, the more that he argues that here's this line and you can't press any further, is just demonstrating more and more 
that he thinks he's good enough and not willing to grow. The legalist says, where's the line that I may draw near to? The lover of God says, where's Jesus that I may draw near to him? The legalist says, look at how righteous I am compared to others. The lover of God says, look at how unrighteous and sinful I am compared to Jesus. Take a look at Simon. Verse 39, he says, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. Why did Simon think this woman shouldn't touch Jesus if Jesus were a prophet? Because of all her sin. But now, keep in mind, Simon hadn't had a problem with touching Jesus. Simon hadn't had a problem with associating with Jesus. Why? Well, because at least I'm not a sinner like her. You see, he compared himself to others. And so he viewed himself as pretty righteous. Think about it. Really, that's kind of a natural reaction. If what you're more concerned about is drawing lines and hanging out by those lines, what are you going to think about in relation to other people? How close they are to your line? Or how much farther past the line you go than they've gone? And so when you start focusing on those lines instead of focusing on Jesus, our relationship with other people automatically becomes about how much better I am than they are or how much I need to be better than them. And then we can start feeling satisfied when we can find people that we're better than. Well, I know I've done this, but at least I haven't done that. I know I've got a few things I need to work on, but I could be worse. I could be like so-and-so. But look at the sinful woman. Who was she comparing herself to? I just want you to envision as she comes up to Jesus and drops down on her hands and knees and crawls up to His feet. She won't look in His eyes. She doesn't give him a kiss of greeting on the cheek. She kisses his feet. Who is she comparing herself to? Not Simon. Not other sinners. She was comparing herself to Jesus. We notice in Luke chapter 18 how legalists have this problem. In Luke chapter 18, as Jesus tells the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, in verse 11, the Pharisee, this is Luke 18, 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. You see who his eyes are focused on? Extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I pay tithes of all that I get. I fast twice a week. But see, the lover of God recognizes that I'm not holy just because I'm more holy than somebody else. The lover of God recognizes I'm not just a sinner because I'm more of a sinner than somebody else. The lover of God remembers Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When am I a sinner? Not when I'm worse than you. I'm not a sinner when I'm worse than the people out there. I'm a sinner when I fall short of God's glory. That's when I'm a sinner. And when am I holy? Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, 
Verse 15. As he who called you is holy. This is 1 Peter 1.15. As he who called you is holy. Be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. When am I holy? Am I holy when I'm better than you? Am I holy when I'm better than the sinners that are still out in the world? I'm holy when I'm like God. And the lover of God recognizes that. And because of that, crawls to Jesus to get as near to Him as He possibly can. To get the mercy and grace He needs. Doing whatever it takes. Not asking about lines. Not trying to find out what the minimum legal requirement is. But trying to find out how close we can get to Jesus. Because we need the grace He has to offer. The legalist says, look at how righteous I am compared to others. The lover of God says, look at how sinful I am compared to Jesus. The legalist says, look at how little I need forgiveness. The lover of God says, look at all the sins for which I need forgiveness. We all recognize this is really just an extension of the last point, isn't it? The legalist, who's worried about their drawing lines, pays attention to how close they get to that, and now starts comparing themselves to everybody else. And when they start feeling that way, then they can start to be excuse me, proud of themselves and say, you know what, I'm really not that bad after all. I'm really pretty good. I mean... You know, I, there's always something. Oh, we always have room to grow. We know the Bible class answers, right? Oh, we've got a little bit of thing here to tweak in there. and Oh, we're going to work on that at some point. But really, I'm just not all that bad. And look at Simon. Isn't that what he was saying? That woman shouldn't be able to take, touch him if he's a prophet because she's a sinner. What does that mean he thought about himself? I'm not a sinner. I'm pretty good. I can touch him if he's a prophet. But what did she recognize? She recognized that her sins were many. Verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She recognized the sins for which she needed forgiveness. She understood exactly where she was. And in fact, Jesus tells a story that kind of, that, that, kind of, that does correspond with this, that illustrates the point. He says there in verses 41 and 42, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? One owed 500 denarii. Denarii is a, a day's wages. Another only owed 50. I mean, 50, that's, a, that's, that's almost two months worth of work. But 500, that's, that's almost two years worth of work to pay it off. I mean, that's, it would take two years just not even eating anything, just taking all the money and giving it to him to pay it off. One was a huge debt. One was a small debt. But, you know, here's the interesting thing. Think about both of those debtors. Neither one of them could pay. What would happen to both of them if they didn't? The one with 500 wasn't going to go into the deeper debtor's prison than the one with 50. They were both going to go to the same place. They were both going to go to debtor's prison and they weren't going to come out until they paid the last cent. You know, perhaps if the Pharisee, instead of thinking about what sins he thought he had forgiveness and being saved from, if he thought about the consequence of those sins, it would have been a little bit better. Because you see, perhaps the sins for which he, were being, he was being forgiven weren't as big as the woman's. But the consequence was the same. 
But then as we think a little bit deeper, we recognize that Jesus here is not actually describing the actuality, but the perception. Was the Pharisee indeed less of a sinner than the woman? Matthew chapter 23 demonstrates to us that's just not the case. The Pharisees, because of their attention to details on the outside, may have looked like like they were less of sinners than the, than the others, but they weren't. In Matthew chapter 23, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but Jesus condemns the Pharisees for a lot of bad things, including murder, extortion, being unjust and being unmerciful. All those things that that Pharisee, when the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector said he didn't do, Jesus said they did. And in fact, in verse 14, he says that they would receive the greater condemnation. So the reality was, this man was not less of a sinner than the woman. He just didn't realize his sin. And that's the point. The legalist, because he is so focused on his own lines and how well he measures up, can blind himself to the sins that he's really committed, or she. But the lover of God, because we're focused upon Jesus Christ and how we fall short of Him, we realize how much we need forgiveness. And that's what causes us to try to get closer to Jesus. Because we need the grace and mercy He has to offer. The legalist says, look at how little I need forgiveness. The lover of God says, look at how many sins I need forgiveness for. The legalist says, who is Jesus that I should honor and trust Him? The lover of God says, He is God that I should honor and trust Him. Look again at the story of Simon and the sinful woman. And we see something interesting there in verse 39 when the Pharisee saw this and said to himself, if this man were a prophet, here's the thing. Simon didn't think the man was a prophet. Let alone that he was the Son of God. He was looking for a reason to discount Jesus. And here it is. Ah, if he were a prophet, he wouldn't let that woman touch him. He must not be a prophet. Now I've found my reason. I, I've found the standard by which I can point out that Jesus is not anybody that I have to listen to. But the sinful woman, she already knew who Jesus was. Even if she didn't have full understanding, she recognized that Jesus was someone she was supposed to honor and trust and love. And so she came and she kissed his feet and washed them and dried them because she understood that she needed to honor. Now, this may be a bit surprising. <clears throat> this may seem a little bit shocking to us because we would think that the one who purportedly is so intent on keeping God's law exactly would be the one who would never remotely think about dishonoring the lawgiver. But when we actually think about it logically, we see that really this is just a logical end. Because think, what happens? The legalist is more worried about the lines that they have drawn. And the legalist is busy comparing themselves to others and not to Jesus. The legalist is convinced that he's actually pretty good and doesn't have many sins for which he or she needs to be forgiven. There's only one way for the legalist to maintain that. And that's to twist what God has said so that it fits with what they want it to say. To allow them to be lifted up. Now, in Christians today, that probably won't ever come out as people actually dishonoring Jesus Christ, not in a verbal way. But how often does it come out in people dishonoring the word that he's given? Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I know that the Bible says that right there, but I just can't believe that God would ever expect... 
I know what this passage says, but God, He's a God of love, and I just can't imagine that God would ever do. You ever heard that? That's a person. They don't realize it. In fact, when you're arguing with them, they'll call you the legalist. But they don't realize that what they've now done is dishonored God. Placing their own lines and standards above Him. And you know, here's the amazing thing. They can even do it and do it in a way where they try to make it sound like they're the ones being spiritual. Matthew chapter 15, I think, provides a great example of that. In Matthew chapter 15, beginning at verse 3, Matthew 15 and verse 3, he'd been asked, Jesus had been asked about why he didn't wash his hands. And he says to the Pharisees, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained for me is given to God, or Corbin, some of your translations say, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the Word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. Do you see what the Pharisees did? The Pharisees took God's law, and they twisted it, and they perverted it, but when they got done, they thought they were the ones being spiritual. Why? Well, I know that I didn't give it to my parents to provide for them, but I was, I was honoring God. And how unspiritual some of the folks thought who, well, I wasn't honoring God, I was honoring my parents. Oh man, I'm not as spiritual as they are. But what had they done? They had twisted and followed their own lines instead of God's commandments. That's what always happens with folks who are legal. And not lovers of God. See, the legalist eventually says, who is Jesus that I should honor and trust Him? But the lover of God says, He is God that I should honor and trust Him. And finally, and this is probably what matters most to us, the legalist hears, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The lover of God hears, Well done, faithful servant. Enter the joy of your Lord. The legalist who has been more intent on following his own lines and learning what the minimum requirements are and how far you can force them to go and, and how much they actually have to do. As they've been so intent on drawing the lines and dotting the I's and crossing the T's, they're the ones that are going to hear from Jesus. Depart from me because you work lawlessness. But the lover of God who is intent on drawing near to Jesus who would take everything he said and go as far as they possibly could in doing it. Growing in Christ daily, becoming more and more like Christ. That's the person who's going to hear. Well done, faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. We see it with Simon and the sinful woman. What does Simon say? Excuse me, what does Jesus say to the woman? I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. And then he turned to in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. And then in verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. But what did he say to Simon about forgiveness? Nothing. And that omission says it all. 
Do you see the point? It doesn't matter where you draw your line. If what you are concerned about is dotting the I's and crossing the T's and getting to that minimum line requirement to make sure that you're good enough now to go to heaven, you ain't going to make it. But if what you're concerned about is finding Jesus and His will and going as far in that as you possibly can, honoring and glorifying Him His way as much as you possibly can, then wherever you are today is enough for today. But you'll grow tomorrow and the next day. And by our faith in Jesus, we'll be made whole and forgiven. It's interesting to me as we take a look at the story that it began that Jesus, that when he told the when he told his story about the two debtors, there he made it sound like the one who was forgiven more loved more because they were forgiven more. It makes it sound like the woman loved more because she was forgiven more. But then as he ends this whole interaction, he says that she was forgiven much because she loved much. Now, which is it? Do we love because we're forgiven or are we forgiven because we love? Perhaps it's both. First John chapter four and verse nineteen. First John chapter four and verse nineteen points out to us that we love because he first loved us. And the point being that Jesus came into the world to offer love and forgiveness. And those folks who recognize the love of Jesus and realize the forgiveness that he has offered. They love Jesus in return. And because they love Jesus in return, all those things that we read about in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-11, through 11, they're following after those things. Pursuing faith and love and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and knowledge and virtue. Growing in those things. And because of that love, in the end, they'll hear. Well done, faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Which one are we? Which one are you? Legalist? Worried about the lines? Worried about how far you actually have to go and whether or not you've gotten there yet? Or the lover of God? Concerned about getting a step nearer to Jesus today? That's the question we have to ask. I know which one we want to be, right? Let's work together on getting closer to God. Draw near to God, James wrote, and He will draw near to you.